Over the past several weeks, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Colossians, a, a young church that, that Paul has never actually met. And as I said in the introductory sermon to this series, Paul is writing this letter while he's in prison, we think in the city of Ephesus, and his colleague Timothy has been caring for most of his needs. And so Paul hears from a man named Epaphras about this young church in Colossae. And so Paul wants to write a letter to this church. He writes a letter to encourage them, essentially to establish uh, their understanding of the gospel, to make sure they're rooted in the gospel that Paul himself preaches, and then how it's lived out with thanksgiving, hope, and love. Now, Paul's heard of their faith in Jesus and the love that has been produced by their faith that comes from the hope in which they now believe. He calls this in verse 6, truly understanding God's grace, that the, the church in Colossae is, is in the process of truly understanding God's grace. And so in typical Pauline fashion, Paul opens his letter with a prayer for this church. And he uses a poetic style, a beautiful narrative way of writing this prayer. And he makes three important principles that we looked at a few weeks ago. And these three key principles are kind of principles that we all need in order to live our faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and that they would receive wisdom and understanding so that their lives can bear fruit and please God. And so Paul right away establishes that they need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and they need to receive wisdom and understanding so that their lives can please God. And then he says that he prays for them to be strengthened and to be given endurance along the way. Now, after this prayer, Paul moves into an important teaching, a really important Christological teaching. This is Paul's understanding of who Jesus is and how Jesus lives, how we live, sorry, in Christ, how we live our lives in Christ. It's essentially Paul giving them his picture of his understanding of how central Jesus is in how we live. And he says that Jesus is the human image of God, the firstborn over all of creation. In other words, if you want to know who God is, the Apostle Paul says you need to know who Jesus is. If you want to know God's character, if you want to know what God was like, you go to the human form of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh. Jesus is the human image of God, the firstborn over all creation, and all things were created in him, through him, and for him. And then he says that Jesus is the head of the church his body, which is here on earth, that he's supreme over all things. And the supremacy of Jesus really just essentially means that Jesus is the center, that Jesus is the number one, that all things are in him and through him, that all things are, are, are uh, in, under his authority, essentially, that Jesus needs to be the center of your life. Now, the, passage, the passages that we walked through last week, verses 15 to 20 of chapter 1, essentially what Paul was doing was giving us a map of the entire cosmos, 
of creation and redemption. And so we stopped last week at verse 20. But there's three more verses that I left for us to deal with today because these three verses uh, indicate where kind of ordinary Christians are located on this map that Paul gave us last week. A brilliant New Testament scholar by the name of uh, Norman Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, he opens his commentary in the book of Colossians for verse 21 to 23 with a story of him going to a large mall, one of the biggest malls in America, in order to go buy a pair of shoes. And he said he felt so lost and he felt so overwhelmed by just the size of this mall. And so he began to look for uh, the store that he's trying to find and he just was struggling to try to find this store. And so finally he stumbled upon a map. And on that map, they had a big red dot that said, you are here. And you were able to look up the store and you were able to then go from you are here and map your way through to your final destination. Now, I know many of us have seen those kinds of maps in malls. And I think it's a great analogy uh, of how maybe many of us feel even in our faith today like the world around us is just this gigantic mall and that we're kind of lost and wandering around trying to find our destination. We think we know where we want to go, but we just can't seem to find it. We can't seem to get the clarity to know where it is in this great big cosmos of the mall. If you feel that way in your faith, like you're, like you're not sure where Jesus wants you to go or where you are even at with God in his grand narrative, then today's passage is going to help you to find your way. Because I think that's exactly why Paul writes this section of scripture. Because he recognizes that, that many of us believe in Jesus and want to serve him with everything that we've got, but that we struggle in finding our bearings in a world full of sin, in a world full of struggles, in a world that seems like a maze of life. So as we read Paul's words today, I want you to picture yourself wandering around trying to figure things out and then you run into the Apostle Paul and this is the advice that he's going to give you. We can open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to work through the rest of Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. We're just going to deal with three verses today. In verse 21, it says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, right away in this passage in verse 21, where Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviors, 
I can't help but right away stop at that passage and begin to ponder what Paul is saying here. You see, Paul believes that the purpose of the creator God to reconcile the whole of creation to himself, that that purpose, that that work of reconciliation has essentially initially been entrusted to the nation of Israel. You see, the people in Colossae and in most other places of the world at the time of Paul writing this letter are outside of Israel. They haven't received that calling of being reconciled to God, of, of serving the one true God. They were monotheistic in nature, meaning they only served one God. But these Colossians, the people in Colossae, they were predominantly Gentiles. And the Gentiles, they worshipped multiple gods. They worshipped idols rather than any one true God. And they were essentially ignorant of both God's saving purpose and how they themselves could share in the benefits of those purposes. You see, they, their lives essentially reflected the gods, small g, that they would worship. Now, this is often how it is in our own lives, I think. Our lives actually kind of reflect what we worship and our actions show our true priorities. I want you to spend a little bit of time with that thought because I really believe, and I think Paul is saying in this passage, that our lives reflect what we worship and our actions show our true priorities. So there can be a lot of things that come out of our mouth to say what we believe, but our actions are actually what show the world around us what we believe. And so the Apostle Paul, talking to this group of Gentiles in Colossae, says that because of their mixed up priorities, driven by their worship of other gods, their minds are actually distorted. Their thinking is kind of all messed up. They're walking around the mall of life, confused about where their destination is, what store they're looking for, and they're unable to find their way. The Apostle Paul says that this distortion of sorts drives one's behavior and actions. And whenever you place your focus, he says, on other gods, your behavior is actually evil. Now, it's interesting because in our world, we often don't notice that we're worshiping other gods and we don't even think that our behavior is evil because sometimes we can have good ethics but still have evil behavior, evil thoughts and evil motive behind the ethics that we have. And so we often don't even realize that our behaviors and our actions are actually being corrupted by the gods that we are worshiping. Now, it's interesting in this passage because then Paul uses an amazing transitional phase, it, phrase, sorry, in verse 22. He says, but now. Listen to verse 22, right? So he says in verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, so there's been this change, this new thing, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, Paul says, you know, to this church, once you were outside off the map, not knowing which way to turn, 
But now God has acted and everything is different. God has literally placed you Gentiles on the map. There's a gigantic, you are here, and the you are here represents the Gentiles. You have been placed on the map with a red mark, helping us to find your, your bearings in this lost world. The Gentiles, the Colossian church, has been placed on the map of reconciliation, is what Paul's saying. But it, it wasn't because of anything they did. It wasn't because of anything they had accomplished. It wasn't because of them changing their ethics or cleaning up their life or anything like that. This, this thing that Paul's talking about, this change that Paul says has happened, this placing them on the map of reconciliation is actually because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's what put them on the map, not anything they did, and not because they couldn't find their way. It was not humanly possible. We needed Jesus in his supremacy, in his overall thingness, all thingsness, whatever. We needed Jesus to do his work on the cross in order to put us on the map, to give us a bearing, to place us with a you are here. Now, this is huge, folks. Because this new map that we now have includes the presence of the creator of the map living in us. Now, Paul says that Jesus has essentially reconciled us. Now, in theology, this, this is called justification. Justification is when Jesus essentially steps into the space between us and God, and he fills that space with his loving grace. We don't deserve it, yet God did it anyway. Christ suffered and gave up his physical body, Paul says, so that we could be put onto the map, so that we could get our bearings and begin to find our destination. And the result is that God now sees us without blemish and that we're free from accusation. We've been justified. It means that we are no longer seen by God as sinners. We've been forgiven even though our current reality is still saturated in sin. Because of Jesus, we are now right with God. That's the doctrine of justification. We've been justified. We've been made right with God. Jesus is placed at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us so that we are seen as righteous and holy in the eyes of God. We can now freely live in God's presence again. And so Paul is saying, you Gentiles, this justification has been given to you through the work of the cross. This isn't just a thing of Israel anymore. This is opened up to all people of all nations. But it's interesting because being justified is not actually the complete picture. And I think a lot of Christians actually think it is. They think that that's it, that that in itself, I'm justified, I'm holy and righteous. God now has forgiven me and loves me and has reconciled himself to me. Uh, that, that that is the complete picture of the gospel message. And, and some think that going to heaven, that essentially that that's what that means, that our destination becomes heaven, is the main reason of why you would believe. But you see, simply being justified doesn't give us the complete picture of the teachings of Jesus 
or the teachings of the Apostle Paul. There's still a whole bunch of the gospel missing if we're only wrapping it up in being justified. And so this is why Paul goes on in verse 23 to show us that the gospel actually has a transformative effect. And so in verse 23, Paul uses another big transitional word. Are you ready for this word? It's a really powerful transitional word. It's the word if. If. So you're holy in the sight of God, free from accusation, if. Listen to what he says. You're holy in the sight of God without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now that's interesting, isn't it? And it tells us that there's more than simply God doing the work of justifying us for the destination of heaven. You see, the gospel is not simply something you believe and that you gain knowledge about. It's actually also a call to action, a call to transformation. The effect of the gospel, it, it doesn't just happen automatically either. You don't just believe and the gospel automatically transforms who you are. Now, there might be some transformation that happens, but Christians, Christians who come into an experience of God, experiencing God's presence, like they can't simply just sit back now and say, well, I'm justified. I'm good. I don't actually have to do anything because Jesus, he did all the work for me. That's partially true. Yes, you are justified. You are seen right in the eyes of God. But Paul would say that life, though, doesn't actually bear fruit here on earth. And he says that they must continue then in this passage. He says you have to continue. There's something that has to happen. You don't just get stuck at the you are here moment. We must continue in their faith firmly, he says and not move from the hope held out in the gospel. You see, holding in your faith firmly doesn't mean you turn into some kind of a, a righteous jerk that wags a finger at others and, and props up your so-called Christian ethics. Remember I said a lot of things can come out of our mouths that are good, but we can still be doing evil? It actually means that you are now taking on responsibility for your own growth and maturity in your faith. Which means that you'll become more loving, you'll become more gentle, you'll become more faithful, and you'll become more kind. It means that you'll take on the character of Christ progressively. It means that you're placing your hope in Jesus, not in things of this world, including your own competence. Now, essentially, Paul is stressing that Jesus has now given us a foundation to build on, a foundation to develop our faith, hope, and love. You see, becoming a Christian cannot just be some kind of a one-off experience that you constantly reflect on. 
The gospel becomes something that we actually live daily. It becomes embedded into our hearts. It becomes who we are as we live our lives, what Paul says, is in Christ, with Jesus as our top priority. Now, the effect of the gospel that Paul is talking about is called sanctification. It's the next part of the process. It's the thing that happens after justification. And now, on this map that Jesus gives us, we have our you are here, but he also points us to a destination on the map. Now, I know many people, whenever I say this, right away say that destination is heaven, that heaven is the ultimate place where we belong. The answer to that actually is yes and no. Yes, our ultimate destination is heaven, but that's actually the process of glorification. What Paul is talking about in this passage is actually a process of sanctification. The destination that Paul says that we have in sanctification on the map is to become more and more like Jesus. Essentially, we're finding the store of the likeness of Christ, of being sanctified Christians, not just justified Christians. You see, there's a big difference between a justified Christian and a sanctified Christian. A justified Christian, they might believe all the right things. They may even have formed some really good ethics and they have assurance that they're going to heaven when they die. But if they don't also live as a sanctified Christian, it means that they missed the life-giving transformation that the gospel actually offers. You see, a justified and sanctified Christian is someone who was progressively transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That they've actually taken on the process of maturing in their faith and that they live by the hope that they've received in Christ, Paul says. The hope that only Jesus can give us. The promises of the world around us can never give us the hope that the gospel message produces. A sanctified Christian does not stay put at the you are here place on the map. They start to work hard at making their way toward the destination of being like Jesus. In theology, we call this the mark. Jesus is the mark. He is our destination. He is what we're working toward becoming like. Essentially, folks, what Paul is saying is, is we leave the you are here place and we become thanks living Christians. Because a thanks living Christian stands firm in the hope that Jesus Christ is their Lord. They've transitioned from someone who places their hope in the world and the things of this world and the structures of this world into someone who knows that God holds the entire world in his hands. That only becoming more and more like Jesus can propel you forward to this destination. You see, so many Christians stay at the you are here place on the map, the justified Christian, as they wait to go to heaven. And the Apostle Paul says that you're missing out on the joy that scripture talks about, the hope and the love that Christ wants to transform you into. But when you stop at just being justified, when you stay at you are here on the place at the map, you become stagnant and ineffective in your faith. 
And that's why Paul moves on to this final point in this section. That not only has this message been proclaimed to the Israelites, but it's also been proclaimed to the Gentiles and to every creature under heaven. He says the gospel has been proclaimed not just for the Jews, but for everyone, for all of creation. So he's saying this justification life, this sanctified life, and this ultimate glorified life that we'll one day have in heaven with Jesus has been proclaimed and is for all people, all creatures under the heavens. The new creation has come and we are all invited into God's newly established kingdom. His new creation has come and we're all invited into God's newly established kingdom here on earth and in the future heaven. Folks, we have been invited into taking part in this cosmic mall that God calls life. Now I know some of us, we just find ourselves wandering around. We find ourselves wandering around the mall aimlessly. Some people even choose to do this kind of thing where they refuse to look at a map. I can find the store. I can do this on my own. I'll press through. I'll just wander around. I'm not in any hurry. But I want to encourage you. You're missing out on depth in life. You're missing out on a depth in faith that moving from being justified into being sanctified actually brings. You see, the Apostle Paul, he loves this church in Colossae. He's heard many great things about them, but he doesn't want them to be misguided about who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus did for them. And so, yes, Jesus died on the cross so that we could be seen as righteous and holy. We could be reconciled and made into a, a, a relationship with God. But we're also in a process of being sanctified with the destination of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And so as we go today, if you're feeling stagnant in your faith, if you're feeling like you're just wandering around the mall, look for the map. Look for the spot that says you are here. And then aim for your destination. Move away from the map, find your route, and get running the race, like Paul would say. Now, if you aren't even on the map, if, if you're a... Uh, uh, wandering around the mall aimlessly and you find the map and you find the you are here destination, but you're really stuck at the you are here place. I want you to hear the words of Paul today and, and sense the pushing of the Holy Spirit in your life to move toward the race, to begin to run it, and to begin to be formed and shaped into the likeness of Christ. It's not always gonna be easy. Actually, the Apostle Paul says it's gonna probably involve a lot of suffering. But the joy, the rewards, and the closeness that you receive of the presence of God in your life makes it completely worth it. So if you're stuck, move forward. If you're wandering aimlessly, 
find the map, and then find your destination. I don't want to see any Christians misguided in the way that they represent their faith here on earth by simply resting in their justification and not moving into sanctification. As we move forward in the service, we're going to just take a moment and go back into worship and sing a song. But I want you to hold on to the hope that we have received in Christ. The hope that only Jesus can give us. Will you reflect on that hope as we sing this song? Thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning and to study God's word and to spend time and worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I just want to take a moment uh, and pray for you just as we close. Father, we thank you for the words that you have given us through the Apostle Paul today. We thank you, Lord, that through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, we have been made right with you, that you now see us as, as holy and without blemish. But Lord, I ask that we would also be sanctified, that you would draw us by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, to live our lives in love and in kindness and in hope that's centered upon the, the cross. And Father, I pray that Jesus would be the center of our life, that he would be our supremacy, that he would be over all and in all when it comes to how we live our lives. That we would not hold our hope in the things of this world or the gods of this world, but that we would place our hope solely in Jesus, that we would leave the you are here place and we would head toward the destination of being like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord be with you and bless you as you go today.